0: Log Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. Bless the Lord. This is Pastor Winfred Burns. And once again, you are live with the Word on Wednesday, where we are currently uh, traveling through the book of Acts. As a matter of fact, tonight we are in Acts chapter 17, and Paul is in Athens, having been in Philippi, Thessalonica, uh, Berea, and now he is in Athens. And this is his second missionary journey. And we want to pick up where we left off last week. We, um, He's now in that city of Athens, and he is conversing and debating daily with some philosophers. Specifically, he is debating the uh, Epicureans and the Stoics. And so there were some things we said last week that we'll jump into. But first, we want to begin with a word of prayer. And just to caution you, um, you know, we're only out for 30 minutes, 30 minutes. So we'll probably finish Chapter 17 and get into 18, but we won't go That deep into chapter 18, because again, we want to confine ourselves to 30 minutes, okay? So let's have a word of prayer and then we will uh, dive right in. Eternal God our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. God, though there's a spirit of weariness over us and feels like we've been just road hard and put up with, we are thankful. We're thankful for health and strength. We are thankful for the activity of every limb. We are thankful that you lead and guide us and protect us while we're traveling to and fro. We thank you that our mind is stayed on you, and we bless you. Father, tonight, as we go into your word as usual, we ask that you would lead us and guide us, that you would be our teacher, that You would fulfill your promise where you said that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth, that you would speak to us. We know that your word is spirit, so speak to our spirit man tonight in a marvelous, miraculous way. We bless you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was saying last week, um, when we are dealing with the people in Athens, we are dealing with, with a people uh, in a town that is filled with philosophers, filled with idolatry, filled with with different gods that they worship. And what we have to realize is that that although they have a low opinion of Paul uh, and Paul's methods, um, that Paul is well-versed in in, this, in dealing with these people. Remember, Paul is a very, very learned man. He comes from a very, very learned town. He comes from Tarsus, which is full of universities and full of teaching, and that he has been taught by some brilliant minds. Um, he studied on, under uh, Gamaliel, who is one of the foremost um, Jewish sages of his time. And so Paul's no dummy, but yet they refer to him as a babbler. And we told you what a babbler was. A babbler was somebody um, who got a thought from here, got a thought from there, got a thought someplace else, and tried to form them into a coherent thought. But unlike the uh, Stoics or the Epicureans who come from a um, – a school of philosophy that has been uh, well-established down through the centuries, as a matter of fact. Um, Here's this Paul coming, talking some stuff that nobody has ever heard about, nobody really understands. And one of the things that we brought out last week was that, um, that Paul is not going to approach them the way he's approached uh, the people in Thessalonica or the way that he approached the people at Antioch or any of the other places, because, again, when he spoke in the synagogue, uh, he spoke from the Scripture. But now, as he approaches uh, the philosophers, he is going to appeal to them through philosophy. He's going to try to make his own, argument for Christ not based on the scripture but based on something that they understand and that is philosophy and several times you'll see him quoting uh, the philosophers rather than quoting scripture now um, one other thing that I want to point out is that uh, in his as he approaches um, the teaching he is going to approach the teaching in such a way where he's going to approach it from nature. Now, remember, these, the Epicureans, um, they're seeking to, to find out what is the aim of life and how do you a- obtain it. And the Epicureans basically says, there are no gods. There are, there's no gods. That, 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 and there is no soul because, or, or there is a soul But at death, the soul dies and is no more. And they think that the aim of life is pleasure. Now, we define pleasure as the absence of pain. We define pleasure as not just comfort, but the absence of pain within the body and also within the soul. So what they're trying to do is obtain a certain type of harmony. Um, The Stoics, on the other hand, They are also uh, basically basically saying that, yeah, pain is there, but pain should be ignored. That what we need to do is we need to place ourselves in a position where we just endure and go through and try to remain calm and happy no matter what happens. Now, they believe in God unlike the Epicureans. But they believe that God is not is so distant that he's not involved in the affairs of man. So those are the types of people that he is going to uh, try to win to Christ. And so we want to pick up right at uh, chapter 17, verse 22. And he's at the area of Pecos now. It says, so Paul and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Let me stop right there. So the first point of contention that he has with the Epicureans and the Stoics is the existence of God. Now, they, in their philosophy, they go along, um, the best way I can put it, they kind of go along with the Big Bang Theory. They don't believe that God created mankind, but instead they believe that through um, through some atoms passing through a vortex, man was created. And they think that man, the soul of man, is just a finer form of Adam. So, and when I say Adam, I don't mean A-D-A-M, I mean A-T-O-M. So they think that it just all came together by itself. And so now Paul is introducing God, and he's also calling them out in, a, in another way. Because now now these are just philosophers. But the town of Athens is filled with gods, and what they, what, they, what he's doing is he's not only appealing to the philosophers, but he's also appealing to the people at large who worship various gods. Because in Athens, every god that you could think of all out of Greek mythology is being worshiped. So, He's going to catch them all up. pieces. You you guys are careful about these gods. As a matter of fact, just to make sure that you don't miss a god, you've got a statue to the unknown god. And I'm glad you did that because that's the one that I'm going to talk to you about. Okay? So, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by, hand, by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, again refuting their thesis and everything. And he made from he made one man and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Now, if you want to see this thought expanded, read Romans chapters 1 and 2, uh, because he expands this thought in Romans. Another thing I want to pick up on real quick is, as we're reading through the book of Acts, um, what I should have pointed out to you, uh, back in I think Acts chapter 16 was that you should go over and read the letter to the Galatians, because it's doing Acts chapter 16 that the letter of the Galatians is written. Just like in Acts chapter 18, what you'll find is that he's going to write First and Second Thessalonians. So when you're reading your Bible, nothing is disjoint. Everything is working together, and especially when we get an overview. And what we're doing here is we're getting an overview of Paul's missionary journeys, but there are things happening in between from stop to stop. And I, I failed to mention that prior to this because um, just oversight, just plain oversight. But anyway, um, you'll see this, this last thought that I, just, that I just made, you'll see that really fleshed out. You'll see that, 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 that thinking really fleshed out if you read Romans chapters 1 and 2. Okay, So, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Remember I told you earlier that he's going to quote a philosopher? Now, normally, Paul is quoting scripture in the synagogue, but here he quotes one of the, I believe this is one of the Stoic philosophers as even some of you of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Again, another quotation from one of the philosophers. Being then God's offspring, verse 29, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed formed by art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now watch this. Now when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now, they're listening to Paul, and they're hearing what he says, and the Stoics pretty much line up with what he's saying because he's talking about He's easing toward their sense of morality whereas the Epicureans are kind of sitting back saying wait a minute hold on first of all who is this God he's talking about because there is no God secondly they really fall out with him when he begins to talk about judgment and finally the final straw for them is the resurrection because to them when you die the soul does separate from the body but the soul dies also there is no afterlife but the stoics they know they they have a sense of god though they don't think he, he it, they think of god as being distant and they think of god as being um Uninvolved in the affairs of mankind, they want to understand how is he affa- how, is, how is he involved in the affairs of mankind. And Paul has already said he created you; it's in him that you live, move, and have your being. And again, that lines up with stoicism. And then finally, he said this resurrection thing talent gets their interest because they say, it's possible if he is involved in the affairs of man, then possible that there is an afterlife and there is a way to live eternally. And so what they want to do from that point on is they want to, to find out more. But the Epicureans basically say, this dude crazy. He don't know what he's talking about. And so they reject him. Now, so what do we learn from there? Number one, the first thing that we learned is that our message must fit the audience. Paul teaches us this, that we can't go in and try to cram Scripture down somebody's throat and cram our philosophy down somebody's throat if there's no basis for it. So what Paul tries to do is he tries to build a base and come to a point of a of of how do I want to put it? Um come to a point where their lives and their beliefs intersect and then work from there. And then he can teach. What where we miss it at in our missionary work and in our evangelism is we don't find a common starting point. We are, oftentimes, we come in and we basically, uh, we just slam it down on them. Uh, if you want to go to heaven, then this is what you've got to do. Otherwise, you're going to hell. And, okay, first of all, I don't know you. So why are you talking to me? Secondly, uh, I don't understand what you're talking about. So you need to go someplace and shut up. And thirdly, you didn't get on my nerves. no. When you do missionary work, when you're doing evangelism, you have to find that common ground, you have to get a point where you can reach them. Um, and what does this mean to us right now, especially especially in our homes? I think a lot of us drive our children away because we expect our children to have the same experience that we had, and the baby only two years old. So how do you expect and you you 40. So you've had 40 years to digest Christianity, 40 years of walking with the Lord, or 20 years, however many years you've been walking with him, and you expect these babies, you expect your teenagers to have the same understanding, experience, and relationship as you because you've had it so they should have it. And, oh, by the way, uh, their worldview is different than yours, Because when I grew up, we were riding the bus. um, We were shooting marbles. We were going to the store at lunchtime and getting 35-cent worth of sliced ham and doing things like that. But as you, uh, our teenagers grow up, they don't know about a sliced ham. Many of them have never been on a bus. They don't know anything about shooting marbles. They know as much about shooting marbles as I know about shooting video games. I don't know nothing about that. And so they they have a different view of the world. They're processing things differently. And what we try to do with them is we try to reach them based on what we know and our worldview. No, it doesn't work. And that's why our churches – are dying and not bringing in young people because to to them, we're irrelevant. To them, we're like the Epicureans. Yeah, Get away from here. And so what Paul is teaching us here and the application is that we must learn to be all things to all people that we might win some. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean you become a chameleon. No, it means that you learn to look and relate to them according to where they are. And don't judge where they are, but instead enjoy them where they are and show them the love of God where they are. How do you do that? Just by going in and just sitting down with them. Yeah. Why are you doing that. How do you do that? What does that mean? Hmm. Why? Asking questions and becoming relatable. And one of the things that I found out is that young people will ask you questions, too. And some of the questions that they'll ask you, oh, my goodness. Because they'll they'll stir your gray matter up, asking you questions. So do you see what Paul's going through? And Paul's not very successful here, as a matter of fact. Um, with all that's on him and all the concerns that he has, we think that Paul gets slightly depressed for a few minutes. And Because, again, the Jews haven't left him alone, as you'll see in a few minutes. And he's worried about Silas and Timothy, who he left back up in northern Greece, dealing with the church at Thessalonica and, 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 and Philippi. He's concerned about them because they were in danger up there. And he's worried about the people of Philippi, the people of Thessalonica and Berea. Why? Because he's concerned that the Jews and the Judaizers, those who, who are basically saying, no, you have to obey the law of Moses and trying to teach them, will corrupt his teaching and uproot these tender young plants. So he's concerned about all of this. All of this pressure, and Paul's really a pastor. Oh, is he a pastor? Because sometimes when we get rebuffed and when we get rebuked and people don't receive us properly, we're just basically, you know, we're shaking dust off our feet and basically come. Well, they can go to hell, because I tried. But Paul has a heart for the people. He has a heart for the sheep of God, and so he, he, he wants to make sure that those tended. Those tender, tender uh, uh, plants will grow roots in Christ and grow up strong and flourish and produce fruit. So, all this pressure is on him. He gets rejected at Athens, and so he leaves. And now we move over into uh, chapter 18. And if you've got questions now, get your questions ready, because in a few minutes, I think i got about seven, eight minutes. Um, I'm going to ask you for your questions. For those of you who are on Global Drive Network, you can call me at 929-477-2304. And those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, what you could do is just type your question in because I can see pretty good tonight. Okay? So I'm at chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So he leaves Athens and he goes to Corinth. Uh, From Athens to Corinth, uh, again, he's still traveling south, but now he's traveling southwest. So he came from northern Greece, he's in southern Greece now in Athens, and he travels southwest to get to Corinth. And Corinth is a particularly interesting city because whereas Athens was full of aristocratic folks that thought they were smart, now you get down into Blue Collarsville where they're making money. Uh, These people up here, these are your, uh, in Athens, they were your scholars, down in Corinth. What you have is you have a, a city that's situated in such a way where, um, if uh, if you go if you go on your map and you look at Greece, you'll see that to to go from uh, one port to another port to get to the uh, westernmost yeah to the westernmost portion of the world going towards Italy, you would have to sail around that little isthmus, okay, that little area. But what Corinth was so small in terms of uh, the distance from one side to the other that what they would do is a medium-sized ship to cut time off, what they would do is they would dock on one side of the city, lift the ship up out of the water. Uh, There was a kind of transit system that they had where they put the, what they did was put the boat on a bunch of logs and just rolled it to the other side of town and dropped it in the water on the other side, and they could be on their way. So Corinth was a city at the crossroads. You had some of anybody and everybody coming through there. And so it was a huge metropolitan city. It was a city that uh, prior to the first century was known for its debauchery. I mean, you talking about sexual sins. you talking about brothels and all of that kind of stuff. Cor- Corinth was known for that prior to the first century. Now, in the first century, uh, and the reason why I say prior to the first century was because I think it was about, oh, roughly about 60 B.C., um, they had gotten captured. The city got burned down. They were finally, Rome came back. Julius Caesar comes back in, and he rebuilds the city. And so now it's they're stu- they're still bad. The sexual sins and all that kind of stuff are still going on, but they were nowhere near as bad as they had been prior to the city being destroyed. So some of everything went on there. And this is going to be a place that's going to cause paul some problems now in terms of the scripture that we just read priscilla and aquila who have just come from italy claudius the jews were cutting up in rome and rome didn't take that they didn't have that mess so what they would do to stop all this rioting to stop all this fussing and arguing and stuff uh, there and basically it was because the jews were going after the christians in rome What they did was they said, all you Jews, get out. And so he put them all out. No Jew could be, was allowed to live in Rome under Claudius. And so they leave Rome and they come to Corinth. This is Priscilla and Aquila. And they're tent makers. And tent makers, you know, we have a lot of, we get a lot of conversation about what is a tent maker. Um, Tent makers are as near as we can tell it. As near as we can tell it, tent makers are workers of leather who make tents, leather goods, etc., uh that are waterproof. Now there's another school of thought that says that Paul was a tent maker and that what they the tents that they're talking about that he made are the talis, the head coverings that men and women use in prayer. Um from a historical standpoint, uh, I've got, I would love to believe. now let me just from from a Christian standpoint, I would love to believe that Paul and Priscilla and Aquila were involved in making the um, the spiritual garments for people. But history seems to point out that they were no, they would, they were working in leather goods, making actual tents and all that kind of stuff. So that's That's kind of the way it goes, I think. But I could be wrong, and I'm hoping that I am. Uh, I'm at verse 3. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God. I want to stop right there cuz I'm not going to be able to get through this. I'm I'm going to have to stop, kind of slow down right there. Let me just make a quick comment on what we just read. Now, when Paul, when uh Silas and Timothy come down, they're going to bring a gift from Philippi. Paul has been working and because Paul is uh, is a Jew and he is steeped in the Jewish system, unlike a lot of people who can go around and charge for their work as a evangelist and a teacher. Paul, being a Jew, it was unlawful for him to do that, and so when he get, and so he's working to support himself. Now remember. When he was with Lydia, Lydia opened up her household and showed him hospitality. But now he's by himself, and so he works to earn his keep because it's unlawful for him to charge people for the word of God. But when Timothy and Silas come down from being at Thessalonica and Philippi, they bring a gift from the Philippians that allows him to go back into full-time ministry. So we got to stop there. We got to stop there. There's there's a lot there that we can see, uh, and I honor. I've been a I've been what you call a, a tent-making pastor my entire career. Uh, I've never been... Well, yes, I was. I was on the, the payroll at, at Word Worship and Witness. I am on the payroll at Word Worship and Witness Ministries. But uh, I usually have to pay myself. Uh, and, and literally. <laughs> I had a buddy that was teasing me, saying, you pay to preach. Yeah, I do. You pay to preach. I mean, that, that the, on, on the surfaces look like that. But my God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. And Uh, I thank God that i got a wife who really, really supports this ministry and supports me in the ministry. Amen. And there are others that, you know, from time to time will come alongside and and they take care of me. Uh, This ain't no post-saint right here at all. Mm -mm. The Lord is my portion. Amen. So anyway, I want to stop right there. Salute all you tent-making pastors who go out every day and go to that job and then Go to that church. I salute you. We're doing, we're just doing what we're told to do and trying to be honorable in what we're doing. And I also salute the pastors and the teachers and everybody who works for the Lord, who is not looking for no paycheck all the time, but just looking to work work for the Lord and do his will by advancing the kingdom of God. I salute you. I salute you. I salute you. Now, we're going to stop right here at 18, I'm going to stop at 18.8, okay? We'll pick up at 18.8 next week. Uh, But before we leave, let's have a word of prayer. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. We bless you and we praise you. We thank you, God, that you are going to give us the strategies to reach people that we don't know who come from cultures and places that we don't quite understand. We thank you that you are teaching us how to go forth in ministry. We thank you, oh God, that you are providing for us. Father, tonight I pray for every tent-making pastor, every tent-making church worker, every tent-making person out there who goes every day into the marketplace and they work, not trying to withdraw from the church, but trying to add into it. I pray, O God, today for them. I pray, O God, that today that you would open up the windows of heaven and shower down upon them not only peace and joy and happiness, But I would pray, oh God, that you would give them all that they need in terms of their finances and lend some. God, I pray that you would do something just absolutely and positively miraculous in the lives of those who work for you by faith from pure hearts. God, do something for them. Do what they need. Do what they want. Bless them as only you can. I thank you and praise you for being with us tonight through this study. We pray, oh God, that you would allow us to meet again next week at this same time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's it for tonight. And we would pray that you would um, follow us on Daily Appointment with God. Uh, we've got a Word, Worship, and Witness Ministries Site out there uh, on YouTube that you can access. You can get your daily appointments with God. You can get the Bible studies that you've missed. Uh, There's another feature called Quick Bites on there that I'm getting ready to roll out some new stuff on. And then I want you to start watching now because I'm getting ready to put some sermons out there too. So look for some great things to come in the very, very near future. But in the meantime, continue reading. As we read through Acts chapter 18, I want you to go over and read 1 and 2 Thessalonians. I also would like to see you go back to Acts chapter 16, reread Acts chapter 16 and 17, and then read the book of Galatians. puts everything into perspective for you. Amen? Hey, it's been a wonderful night. Have a great, great evening, and be blessed. And oh, by the way, it's Resurrection Sunday, and I know a whole lot of us, We don't like to go to church because all the people that um, don't normally go might be there. Uh, It's an all-hands-on-deck week, so be there. We're going to say it. Be blessed. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.